Sorry, I was right up on the mic. I, don't, I never know. I never know. But good morning. <sighs> I'm going to ask you immediately to do me a favor. I would like you to think of the area which God has blessed you most this week. Because I'm sure you have one. Even if it's just that you made it to Sunday. I want you to think of the area that God has blessed you most this week. Now, with that in your mind, if you can do so without pain, would you stand with me? We're going to sing to the God of creation because this time is for him. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trial, of famine and darkness and sore. Still we are the voice in the desert, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, and lift your voice. And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. And these are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David rebuilding the temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest. The fields are as wide in the world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds. Shining like the sun at the trumpet call and lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee for out of Zion's hill salvation comes. I would ask you do not sing this mindlessly. If you do not believe this, do not sing it. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 There's no God like Jehovah, there's no God like Jehovah. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, 
Shining like the sun At the trumpet call And lift your voice It's a year of jubilee For out of Zion's hill Salvation comes Let's do that chorus one more time I missed it, sorry Behold he comes Riding on the clouds Shining like the sun at the trumpet call and lift your voice in the year of Jubilee for out of Zion's hill salvation comes. All right. The next song is Above All. I think it's actually just called Above All. The first line is above all powers, above all things, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were there before the world began. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things. Above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were there before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known. Above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you were. Crucified, laid behind a stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone. Trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all, above all powers, above all things, above all nature and all created things. Above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were there before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all wonders the world has ever known. Above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you were. Crucified, lay behind the stone, you lived to die, 
took the fall and thought of me above all. Crucified, laid behind the stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone like a rose. Trampled on the ground, took the fall, and thought of me above all. And like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall, and thought of me. I believe you all know the next song. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see, but when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Oh Lord, please light the fire. Oh Lord, please light the fire. Once burned bright and clear. There once burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. I want to take your Shine it all around and give it, Lord, and doing well. Let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> oh, Sing that one more time. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on 
Father God, I thank you and I praise you for who you are, that you are holy, that you call us to be your children. Father, I pray that you would forgive all the unforgiveness that we harbor. I pray that you would forgive all the ways that we've fallen short. But Lord, I pray that you would teach us to follow your ways so that we can reconcile this world to you, so that we can show others how you are reconciling this world to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, and before you sit down all the way, I didn't catch some of you. Can you say good morning to each other? Good morning. Don't stop loving each other on my account. I'll wait. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's from John eleven twenty six. I'd like to start just by saying how wonderful I thought the music that Austin chose this morning was. I thought that was fantastic. If you have a song choice that's just pulling at your heart, please let him know. He's very accommodating. Also, I just wanted to share with you how much fun I had yesterday at my wife's family reunion. I've gone to one of my family reunions in the last 20 years, and it's not because I don't love my family, I'm just not in the practice. But I always look forward to going to her family reunion, and it's fun, because they have a lineage they can trace, and that's always fun, uh, because we can't always in my family. It only goes back so far, and then you have to take another route, and then there's some maybes. But that's okay. Um, and I was just blessed. I spent most of the day talking to a pastor who lives in Tennessee. And then I realized that two of the people that were organizing it, one's of a chaplain for the homeless in Pittsburgh, and his wife is an ordained minister as well. And 
Uh, Nate, who didn't show up, is an ordained minister. And I realized from the time that I started going to these family reunions, there is a lot more clergy than there used to be. And God is at work in the Catalfew family. I use that as a broad strokes thing. There's a lot of names in that organization. But uh, it's really cool to see how God is at work. And as I brought up in Sunday school, if you don't see miracles, you're not looking. You should see the way God is affecting people. It's so good. It's so good. And that was just one little way I saw God at work this week. There were many. I won't do that right up here. I'm going to get to some scripture. And then we can all see God at work. So I am at John chapter 11. Continuing in the story of God and man, we are on what was chapter 25 in the book, The Story, which is a great outline of scripture. It does not replace your Bible, but it is a great a compilation of a story of man and God together. So you'd find some of this that we're going to go over in chapter 25, which is titled, Jesus, the Son of God. And without surprise, we're in the book of John, because that is the song in John's heart is telling you that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is, in fact, God. That is what John does. That was John's whole purpose. So I'm at the death of Lazarus. <coughs> funny sideline. Um, it's funny to me. You may not find the humor in this, but I actually had a drill sergeant whose last name was Lazarus. And he would always talk about how he was not afraid to die, because he will be back. And not everyone got it, because not everyone was churched, but Drill Sergeant Lazarus really enjoyed talking about this story in ways. Anyway, that cost you nothing, I hope. Anyway, actually, I met him when he was no longer a Drill Sergeant and I was no longer a terrified private. He was the sweetest guy. Seriously, when he didn't have his drill sergeant hat on, seriously, the nicest man. I was really happy I got to meet him again later because I was scared of him. But he's actually a decent Christian human being, and I thought he might have worked for the other side. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm to chapter 11 for real now. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. <coughs> Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick, your friend's sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? I love this example that Jesus gives us right here. Don't you know how dangerous that is? They're trying to kill you. You want to go there again? Really? I have a sneaking suspicion that this is kind of an empowering verse for a lot of missionaries in the world right now. Particularly those that are still in Afghanistan, because I know there's missionaries still in Afghanistan right now. 
The disciples said to him, Oh, I already read that. Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, I want to point out something here that we should not overlook. Thomas has this horrible reputation among the disciples. Who is Thomas? Doubting Thomas. That doubter, that doubting Thomas, that doubting Thomas, doubter the Thomas. 2,000 years he's been known as doubting Thomas. Can I tell you something else we could remember him as? Right here in this verse, guess who's talking? Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Wouldn't that be such a better legacy to be remembered for? Brave Thomas? Let's go be martyred with Jesus? Same Thomas. Okay, just putting that out there. Not just a doubter, people. He also died as a martyr. He really did. So, just want to put that out there. Granted, he's in the presence of God. He doesn't care what we call him. I'm almost positive. But anytime someone says doubting Thomas, I want you to think brave Thomas, martyr Thomas. Even though he doubted, he laid down his life for this. He was willing to die for Jesus when Jesus was bodily there. He had a hard time believing that Jesus was still bodily there because he's human. Thomas died as a martyr. Preaching the word of Jesus Christ. He stopped doubting. He wasn't a doubter first. He was brave. Then he doubted. Then he was brave again. So, I'm not trying to change the way you speak, but the next time you hear someone say doubting Thomas, I just want you to remember, brave Thomas, martyr Thomas, was also doubting Thomas. Because everybody is completely human in the Bible here. In the case of Jesus, he's also completely God and completely human, but more on that until I die. So when Jesus came, he found that he had been in the tomb already for four days. Now Bethany was in Jerusalem about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Mary, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was still, I'm sorry, who did I say? Martha, as soon as he heard that Je- she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary was still sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear that faith? She knows who Jesus is. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She doesn't say he might not have died. You could have cured him. It might have helped. She said he would not have died. She knows who Jesus is. 
And don't we do that too? Those of us who know who God is when something happens that we don't like, you know God could have done it differently. This isn't new. Your struggle is not new. God, why'd you let this happen? The only difference here is that Martha gets to ask Jesus face to face, where were you? I sent for you days ago. That's not what it says. That's between the lines. Where were you? If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he'll give you. Again, she knows who Jesus is. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the re resurrection on the last day. Hmm. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I want you to hold on to that phrase for a moment. I say it a lot at funerals. It's for every day. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You notice that question. That question is the same one that you have. There are a series of questions in Scripture that Jesus says something. Who do you say that I am? I harped on that last week. Here's a new one. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Hmm. I am not Martha, but I do recognize that that question is also for me. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into this world. It's really easy to speak about God in general terms. Yes, I believe in God. Who's Jesus? Jesus is God's son. You can say those things. Now, here is a new question. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that you believe? That's a weird question, I know. Do you believe this? To what degree do you believe this? It's easy to say things in blanket statements. Jesus loves you. I can sing Jesus loves me, but when I think about Jesus loving me, that hurts a little because I do not deserve it a bit. If you've ever hurt someone that you loved and they loved you anyway, there's pain there because you know how unworthy you are. Now multiply that by infinity and Jesus loves me. Because as much as I'd love it to be true, I'm not done breaking Jesus's heart. But Jesus loves me, which is the most profound theological statement that you've ever learned. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
That is the most profound biblical statement, most profound theological statement you will ever know. And you've known it your whole life, probably, even before you believed it. Verse 28. <coughs> Excuse me. And when she said these things, she went away to her, or went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, "The teacher has come and is calling for you." As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her, when they saw Mary rose quickly and went out following, they went out following her, saying, "She is going to the tomb to weep there." Then, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice that both sisters have the same level of faith. There is no question. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Have you ever groaned in spirit? Not in impatience, but have you ever felt your spirit tremble? Have you ever felt the brokenness of other people to the point that it wretched your gut? I believe that's what he's talking about here. He sees the brokenness of these two girls that he loves over their brother, who he loves. And this group of people crying for him. And he has compassion, and it hurts him. His spirit was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, Come and see. And then we have the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. I've heard whole sermons on that verse. They've written whole books on that verse. Jesus wept. What does that imply that Jesus wept? This seems like a very strange time for Jesus to be weeping if you're writing a fictional account of a superhero because he's about to raise him from the dead. Right? He's about to have victory here, yet he weeps. Why is he weeping? It is my belief that he is actually weeping over the brokenness of others. He's weeping at the pain that he sees in his friends. He is weeping at their loss. And if God, who is who is one with Christ is seeing our brokenness. Why do we feel that he's so detached when you can see Jesus weeping over the brokenness of other people? We get this weird idea that God isn't hurting when we see Jesus weeping. I don't know why we've come up with this sterilized cruel or the wrathful one when you see Jesus who is in very substance he's very much equal with God he is God weeping 
why would you not assume that of God the Father or of God the Holy Spirit, that they aren't invested in us? I just want to frame that for you. You don't even have to follow me there, but I'd like you to pray about it. Do you, how personal do you believe that your God is? Or why don't you believe your God is personal? There is a giant leap between believing in God of creation and Lord of my life. That is a giant leap. Are you taking it? That might not just be one leap. That could be several, several steps over a period of years. But acknowledging that God created the world. Acknowledging that Jesus is his son. Acknowledging that he's the savior of the world. And acknowledging that he is the Lord of your life. Who knows the number of hairs on your head. Who knew you before the foundation of the world. I don't mean to line that out as a progression, but I honestly believe that it is one. Very few people are suddenly like, God created the heavens and the world. Jesus is Lord of my life. There's a progression here. But I'd like to encourage you in that progression to see how invested Jesus is in people. Just in case the idea of being born in a stable, living among the poor and rejected, and then being tortured to death for love doesn't drive it home for you. I want to see you to see that even knowing that Jesus is going to heal somebody, he weeps for the brokenness of these people. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? So even the people that don't believe in him the same way Martha and Mary are, are like, well, where was he? Couldn't he, this guy that does all these miracles, have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself. We have an impoverished language in English, so... If you're ever really curious, I'd encourage you to go back to the Greek on that and see what it actually says. Groaning in himself. He's got turmoil. He's got brokenness. He's groaning inside himself. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha and the sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. And I was tempted to actually read this part in King James because I believe it says, Lord, he stinketh. And I work with 12-year-olds. And there's, that phrase tickles my brain a little bit when it says things like stinketh. Another one of my favorites is when it says, he driveth like Jehu. But King James is a beautiful translation. Anyway, that was, again, hopefully not too distracting. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know 
that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now he had said these things. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. This would be so interesting to watch. Wouldn't it? Lazarus come forth, and then a man who was quite literally wrapped in a sheet with his face covered in a shroud comes hopping out. Come on. If that doesn't play with your imagination, think about that. I would like to give you permission if no one ever has before. When you're reading the Bible, engage with the text. We are reading about people who had lives, who had full things going on. We don't know if Lazarus had horrible acne scars, and we don't know if Lazarus... We don't know. We aren't given these details. But I would encourage you, these are real people who had real lives and real relationships. Maybe he had a personality disorder where his sisters were only his friends. Or maybe he was like the toast of the town and everybody loved Lazarus. We don't know. We don't know. We do find out a little bit more. (laughs) But I'm going to try to stay where I'm at for just a second, then I'm going to hop ahead. (laughs) In verse 45, Then many of the Jews that had come... who had come to Mary and seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did, so they did not believe in him. It's amazing that there are people so hardened to the working of Jesus that you could see someone raised from the dead and you are still not going to believe. You'll never believe what that trickster did. I don't know if they thought they were watching David Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear or what they thought was going on, but they saw a man raised from the dead who had been dead for four days. He was dead. If you're dead for 20 minutes and you come back, there's accounts of that. He was dead for four days. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For the man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You hear the fear there. If they believe in this guy, the Romans are going to come, and they're going to take away our place, they're going to take away our temple, they're going to take away our nation. We can relate to this. How many times do we put our security ahead of what God is trying to do? We put our security, whether it be financial or emotional or whatever, we put it before God's will, God's plan, God's Messiah. We put it in front of Jesus. We still do that. We can look at these people and be like, wow, they were really blind. Yes, they were. Yes, we are. Because people are people, 
and they continue to be people. If I don't teach you anything else out of Scripture, I want you to remember that. In these very words of God, you can see that people are people and it have always been people. And for whatever reason, God has seen to redeem us anyway. But you can look at these people and we can see ourselves and we can see what God was doing and is doing. And if that isn't empowering, oh, what did that fella say? <laughs> I was at a, an event listening to Ray Vanderland connect the Old Testament to the New Testament as only a good teacher can. And I'm not claiming he's special. I'm just saying he studied a lot. And he's just connecting Old and New Testament and going down. And this little Mennonite fellow in front of me turns with this giant grin and goes, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. And for whatever reason, I just thought about him. When I'm talking about this scripture right here, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Come on. We can see God moving amongst real people, and you can look around and you can see God moving amongst real, broken, hurting people. Some of who will put their security in front of the kingdom of God moving forward. Actually, the majority of whom are willing to put their security in front of the will of God moving. They're willing to admit that God is at work. They're willing to admit that God is at work here. They're willing to admit Jesus is doing some things, but they're not willing to get out of the way because they're going to take away our place and they're going to take away our nation and we're going to have these problems and everything's going to go wrong. And, oh my gosh, I'm actually going to do it. To quote George Carlin, which I never thought would happen up here, Wait, where am I going and why am I in this handbasket? We're so quick to say the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Is it? Or are you not looking at Jesus working? Are you afraid to let go? I am. I have been. I have moments of clarity. Security is a beautiful thing, isn't it? How many forms of insurance do you have right now? Security is a beautiful thing. I'm not preaching against insurance. I'm just saying, how important is security? How much security do you get from the idea of your security? Many of us have even gotten so modern in our thinking that we think of salvation as insurance. Did you get your fire insurance? Oh yeah, when I was 13 at summer camp. I went forward, the band was playing, we cried. Amen. That's beautiful. Do you have blessed insurance or blessed or blessed assurance or blessed insurance? Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of glory divine. Not please don't send me to hell. You notice the subtle difference in your thinking there. Lord, I want to follow you all of my days. I want to be the light of the world. I want to be a city on a hill. I want to shine for you. I want to do good works and glorify my Father in heaven. That's one way to look at it. Unfortunately, what we sell so many people is, and now you won't go to hell. Well, yeah, but... Are we, are we presenting the fear of hell or are we presenting the glory of God? Because it sounds to me like one of those is a way better deal. Doesn't it? 
How would you like to be in communion with a God of creation who loves you, a personal Jesus, that numbers your hairs and cares about your dreams and loves you and is broken for your brokenness? Or I can stand up here and I can say, hell is hot and miserable and you don't want to go there. Are either of those, are either of those false? Not as far as I know, no. I know there was a missionary who once told the Eskimos that uh, hell was cold because he, when he told them it was hot that they kind of wanted to go there. Maybe that's an old wives tale, I don't know. But I do know that I would like hell to be off my radar. I don't want to do anything out of the motivation of fear of hell. I want to do everything out of motivation for my father who loves me despite my unworthiness, despite the fact that I should be in hell already, because there's no reason why God saved my life to this point. I can catalog all the times I probably should have died, and God saved me anyway. And I bet a bunch of us in here can do that too, where God saved us for a time. And I don't know when that time is. Maybe I'll say this sermon and my time's up, and God bless God for that. That's wonderful. God has preserved me for whatever reason. There's something that happens a lot in the Old Testament. I kind of just did it there, and it sounds weird to Western Christians, but they bless the Lord. And we've got this very weird idea that you can't bless God, but it's all through Scripture. Bless the Lord. They say it over and over again. Bless the Lord. In fact, the blessing you get for your meal wasn't originally for the meal. They were blessing the Lord for their meal. Isn't that weird? Traditions change things sometimes. You can bless God. Did you know that? Isn't that glorious? That the God of creation decided his lowly creation was able to bless him. Come on, this is cool. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. Actually, I'm not sorry, but I am getting excited. Uh, <laughs> something else that I think is strange that happens in this account. You jump through to verse tw uh, chapter 12, around verse 9-ish. Something strange happens where they're not just content to get rid of Jesus to save their nation and to save their place, which I believe is the temple. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but also to see Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Hmm. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Can you imagine the audacity, the things we do in the name of religion, proper orthodoxy, to save religion as it had been prescribed and had been believed to this point? They were willing to kill someone who raised somebody from the dead, and then they were going to kill the man who was raised from the dead in order to preserve the establishment. Man, we're sick as people, aren't we? But I bet you the true motivation was so that people would stop worshiping the wrong way. Don't worship like that. Worship God in spirit and truth. No, not like that. I do that. 
I'm sure some of you have heard me do that. You mentioned the wrong televangelist. I'll go off for 10 minutes. And then I want to make a really snarky comment about try to find the right televangelist, but I know they're out there. I know they're out there. I'm not God. I shouldn't be judging these people as harshly as I do. I'm not God. But the fact that there is a God judging them should scare some of them a lot. Goodness. But if I can tell you anything that I want you to pull out of this story, this account, when I say story, people sometimes think I, I mean that it's fiction. I do not mean that. Story isn't a dirty word. Character isn't a dirty word either. But when I say that, people think, oh, he's saying it's fiction. No, I'm not. Don't put words in my mouth. It's very unsanitary. But what I would like you to see is that Jesus wept. Jesus wept knowing this man was going to be raised from the dead. What I'd like you to see also is people putting their security in front of the work of God and deciding that security was more important. And I would also like you to see where people, just like us, not bad people 2,000 years ago, but people decided that there was an orderly way to do worship, and this isn't it. And they were willing to kill the Son of God to stop him from messing up church. And if we can't own those statements... I bet we know some people that should. <laughs> but I think we could all own at least part of that. I've been guilty of all of those things. I've been guilty about being reluctant to do things I felt God wanted me to do because it wasn't secure. It seemed risky. It's terrifying. I can see where I've gotten so caught up in the prescribed way that things should be done that maybe I was inhibiting people encountering God. I've been guilty of that. I've heard someone talk about how they were so blessed by a sermon someone gave and how they heard God say this and this and this and this and this. And it all lined up with scripture. And then I still attacked the pastor that said it because they are a heretic. There's a time and a place. Oh, and I'm sure you've picked up on this if you've heard me preach for more than two seconds. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to hide that I'm not perfect. If I can show you an example of anything, it's repentance. And how important it is to follow Scripture and to follow Jesus Christ. And not to follow Lucas Johnson. Because I love God with my very being, but I am a train wreck on my best day. I am a broken and hurting human being. And so are you. And that is the wonderful thing that we also see in Scripture. Is that Jesus works exclusively through broken and battered human beings. If you like an underdog story, that's because you're made in the image of God. God uses misfits. 
God collects misfits. Doesn't matter how clearly your facade is established, how many things that you can do well. And some of you guys are really impressive, honestly. I brag about you guys. We're all broken. There's always something in us that's just broken. And it's because we're separated from God. But God is calling us back. God is calling us back. Always. It's constant. It isn't that event that happened when you were 12. It isn't just your baptism. It's that God is calling you back again and again and again and again and again. Because he didn't leave. You turned away. He didn't leave. He's still there. He wants to walk with you. He will walk just as fast as you can. When you trip and fall, for some reason, he's still standing there waiting for you to get up, and then you'll walk with you again. It's an ongoing. It's an ongoing. You can have an event where you came to faith, and that's wonderful, and we all have those, I hope, and if you don't have one, get one. Come to faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let that be your event. Let that be that mile marker where you started running. We all have a day when we first stood up. We all have a day when we took our first steps. Every marathon runner learned to walk first. Those psychos that run those 200-mile running races, I can't believe those are real things. They started with a single step. Anyhow, that's all I have for you today. If you can do so without pain, would you stand with me? Father God, I thank you that you are holy, Lord. I bless you that you think of us, that you are concerned with this finite creation, that you call us your friends, that you call us your children. Father God, I thank you for the promise that we, have, we abide in you, that you abide in us. I thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that you have given us. Father God, I pray that we would take your words as your words, that we would take your examples and promises as being your examples and promises. Father God, I pray that we would walk with you so closely that people see you through us. Father God, I pray that you would bless this congregation. I pray that you would bless all the people that are in contact with us. Father God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to a broken world through your broken people that are us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, our announcements, prayer and sharing, will be led by Albert Brenner.